0: Welcome to the My Age Podcast, a podcast that brings you conversations with people from all walks of life using music to plot a course from their early years to how they got to where they are now. Alrighty, what are we doing? Uh, episode number 48. Um, first on listener, thank you for hanging out. Really appreciate it. Um, hope you enjoy what you hear. And if you do, go back and listen to the older episodes. You know, there's forty-seven other ones out there. Um, and if you're a you know long time listener, then I appreciate your. Returning, I appreciate the friendship that we kind of may have built across this forty odd episodes of this podcast, um, or you know, like that that weird relationship where you think you know someone who talks in your ear for a few hours every month really well. You probably do, like if you know, you probably do. Let's be real. So today's episode, I have. Um, if you paid attention to last year um, in my you know, the top 10 episodes that are released at the end of the year, you would have heard me talk about Rev Peters and his band, the drowns, uh, that we, that we, me, former guest of the pod, Nate and former guest of the pod, um, Dave Macbeth saw at punk rock bowling, um, about this time last year, not to date it, but you know, um, it's April now. And we saw them in, uh, may last year, may, may has been punk rock bowling is in Las Vegas. Um, and was fucking stoked on how good they were. Um, and as I say in this podcast, pretty much the second I got home, I hounded um, Rev and said, look, I really, really want you to do an episode of my podcast because I think you're fucking great. And yeah, so nearly a year later, here it is. Um, what else is happening? I hope you're, you know, looking after yourself in lockdown. Um, I hope, you know, no one you knows. Too ill. It's a bit weird. Well, not a bit weird. It's a bit weird everywhere, but our weird take on it, ours being Nicole, mine, and Cody's, and um, extended family, is that um, we live with Nicole's dad, who is 80 years old. And, you know, if you look at the statistics of everything, he falls into the, you know, the demographic that gets most affected by COVID in the worst possible way, or whatever it's called in the worst possible way. So, um, We've got to be ultra vigilant and, you know, as everybody does, I guess. But, um, you know, it seems like in a world of weirdness, we're kind of finding, like, we, the collective of kind of people are finding their groove. And not that things are going go back to normal anytime soon, but I think people have, you know, it's now a new normal, what's happening. Like, the way you kind of interact with people and that kind of jazz, it's not a weird thing to, you know, not shape somebody's hand or... Not stand too close to them as you're getting milk from the fucking supermarket or whatever. So, yeah. Anyhow, I digest. As I said, Rev Peters from The Drowns. Hell of a story. Really, really interesting. You know, as they all are, I really enjoyed this one. Um, Before I forget, this episode is actually brought to you by uh, Gringo Bandito Hot Sauce. The world's best hot sauce. You know it. I mean, there's no point in trying to debate me on it. You, You can if you want, but it's just a futile you know, it's futile on your behalf. Um, and also, My Age Podcast is part of the Podbelly Network. Um, if you're interested in starting up a podcast, if you've always wanted to know how to do it, but you're not sure kind of what you need and how to kick it off and all that kind of jazz, you can go to the podbelly.com uh, with a whole bunch of instructional videos, information, all that kind of jazz. And also while you're there, you can check out a whole bunch of other pod, uh, Podbelly Network podcasts. There's yeah, there's something for everybody. Are you are you part of everybody? Then there's something for you there. Before we go on, um, I try to plug new music and this this well this episode, I think it kind of really fits in well with um the theme of well, not the theme, but like Rev Plays and the the drowns. Um so I kinda and it just so happened that a, a former guest of the podcast, Slim Doug Smith, he's been the hard target, so finally released their LP called the Hard to Kill LP. Um, members include Nigel from Mind Snare Gordy from Mind Snare slash Franzal Rom and a gentleman named Phil from uh, a band called Marching Orders down in Melbourne Um, it's basically you know for fans of because it's really important to have that kind of thing nowadays well not not incredibly important but it helps for reference sake Um, you know for fans of the, uh, The Jam The Clash Stiff Little Fingers Dead Boys New York Dolls just kind of you know proto-punk rock and roll stuff i just wanted to read part of this from their bio which i think is you know i think it's fantastic and it it's a fantastic description of you know the lp itself um this record is the audio equivalent of finding your older brother's collection of throwing stars under the bed getting drunk in a park on stone's green ginger wine and going out and fucking shit up you know with a description like that, how can you not love it? How can you not even get... Like, you know, go give it a crack. It's all on all the streaming um, streaming platforms. Uh, but, yeah, this song I went with is called Government Bedsit Blues. Um, this one kind of stuck out. I mean, they're all great, but this one kind of stuck out to me. Hope you dig it. If you listen to this and you're a, because you're a fan of The Drowns, then I think you'll be really, really into it and... You know, go check it out on all the the platforms, as I mentioned. Um, I don't think there's anything else. Um, I've got... For episode 49, just as a quick spoiler, when I first did this podcast, I had a list of about... 10 people who were my... um, uh, What's the word? Like a a wish list. Like a... When this thing gets big enough, here's who I really, really want to get on it. Like, kind of list. And episode 49 is... Was one of those original people, um, yeah. I'm fucking stoked. It's the first female I've had on for a while, which is also a great thing. Um, and I, yeah, my my wife will attest to the fact that it, I was smiling for days after we did the interview because, um, yeah, it was it was a big deal for me. Um, and then episode fifty, who, oh, another another huge guest. You know, it's what we do here. And then after that, not to give too much away, but I'm kinda gonna change it up a little bit. Um, I really, really love doing the My Age podcast. I love doing the long form conversations. Sometimes it gets a bit hard to get people, at the moment it's okay because people are doing, a lot of people are doing nothing. Um, but as time goes on and thing and norm, normalcy kinda kicks back into effect, it sometimes can get hard to get people to talk, for, You know, set aside two, two and a half hours or whatever to actually have a chat. Um, so every once in a while, I'll be doing a podcast which I'm calling the Original Me series, um, and it's a different take. It's um, you know, how about let's let's make a deal? You listen to this one, and then forty nine, and then when fifty happens, I'll announce it in fifty, and um, we'll, we'll get it going from there. How's that sound? Cool. Hope you dig it. Hope you dig this episode. Sit down and listen to um. The Drowns, if you haven't heard them before, go listen to it once you've heard this. If you have listened to it before, go listen to it again. But, you know, also listen to the Hard Targets. Um, And I hope everything's cool where you are. Cool. my age podcast uh with me on the line today i've got all the way from sunny sunny which is very rare seattle um rev rev peters from the drowns how you doing mate i'm doing good how are you very good very good thank you um look let's we had a we had we've had a few chats uh you know over the last 48 hours let's just jump into it tell us about you know the early years of rev and your parents and how music kind of played a big role in it
1: um. So I was born into an army family um, in Tacoma, Washington, which is just south of here. Yep. Uh, my parents were really young. My my dad was like eighteen. My mom was seventeen years old, and uh, they. I two months after I was born, we moved to Alaska, and lived there till I was eight. Uh, my parents were always nobody in my family was musically talented at all. Like, not even really in my extended family that much. Um, so I the way that I got into it was my parents are huge fans, though. They've always been huge fans of music. Um, my whole life, they've gone to live shows, and that's been a big part of, of me growing up. And, uh, it's kind of weird in a sense that like their interest in music was always from the fan perspective and still to this day, um, which is kind of beautiful to watch because I had parents who were constantly telling me about their favorite artists and constantly showing me new records and uh, introducing me to new music, which I feel is not necessarily something that everybody has. Not at and all. And my parents also, like I said, they were they were only they were under twenty years older than me, so our the references they were giving me weren't actually like you know it wasn't like they were listening to like the Beatles and being like check out this Beatles record. Yeah, it was artists who were still current. You know.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, like, because if you're, you know, if you're, you said your mom was seventeen when she had you when you're when yeah. you're 17 she's in her mid 30s which i guess is about you know your age and you're still listening to that kind yeah. of, you're you're still like you're still listening to that kind of music now it's you you you're absolutely on that kind of same page
1: yeah i should also say that i feel lucky that their music they liked didn't suck oh, that's like true. Yeah. they have great, they have great music taste you know like, so i lucked out in that sense too that like they weren't listening to garbage you know like yeah. they were showing me really good music yeah
0: so with that, you said they were you, you. were born into an army family. Were they were were their parents army as well, or how did they kind of end up in the army or the those or forces?
1: Um, my my dad just went straight into the military out of high school, and his father was in the navy and was in the Vietnam War. Uh, my mom's parents weren't in the military. Her dad is an old uh, logger and a farmer from uh, Minnesota. Um, but yeah they uh, they just popped right into the military and like i think they wanted my parents are very like uh, adventurous souls i think the idea of travel and seeing the world is really what kind of like pushed them into like that sense of adventure was really appealing to them
0: so what was gonna what was happening musically around the house Um, So, (laughs) I thought about this,
1: because I've listened to some episodes of your show, and I really like it. I should say that I really enjoy what you do, and I appreciate you doing this and asking me to do it. Yeah, so uh, I was a little hesitant when I was thinking about what would be a good song for this era, because I know where you're from, and my father has my whole life, still to this day, is the biggest ACDC fan. Oh, dude ever dude that's that's like, powerful huge, my whole life
0: <laughs>
1: my whole life has been a huge acdc fan and uh like a part of the fan club and just they're still his favorite band ever that's and, amazing uh, when i was like six years old he uh gave me a cassette for uh one christmas and it was a uh uh very uh, deeds under cheap like <laughs> that that like that record on or that album on cassette, on cassette and, uh, yeah. The song "Rocker," the song "Rocker" by AC/DC. I remember being a little kid and like running around, just screaming, "I'm a rocker!" around the house and like dancing around. <laughs>
2: Live on KDF, you've been listening to ACDC, and we'd like to take this opportunity to thank Atlantic Records for allowing us to bring this to you live. Now back to Chris at the station. Uh,
0: what like I and we'll get into this later, but one thing I've got to say about like I just want to commend you on like the new album. I fucking love it. But what I I think what I loved most about it was the fact that there was it was predominantly clean guitars. Like yeah, I loved that. It was so refreshing to hear. Like, don't get me wrong, I fucking love, you know, I love big, you know, big 900s or what, like JCM 900s and humbuckers into that kind of thing. But, like, it was so nice to just hear the album go, oh, this is still hard and it's still heavy, but you're probably using, you know, AC30s AC or something.
1: Yeah, yeah, we were using um, a vintage Fender amp for oh, most of those tones. There um, you go. Uh, cool little story. We when we were down there recording in Eagle Rock um, with Ted Hut, me uh, and Ted had had talks about bands that influenced us, and um, everything I was naming was. I, I'm a very clean guitar tone guy. Like I actually like when a guitar player is using the energy of their strum or yep. their like their attack on the strings to really define uh, the like the gain structure of the amp instead of, like, adding an extra gain stage and, like, turning on fucking, you know,
3: yep, distortion,
1: yep. pedals, whatever. Uh, I prefer when you're playing aggressively, and that's why it sounds that way. But so we were talking about that, and um, we got these clean amps, and um, actually all my rhythm stuff is on an old Fender amp that used to be owned by, um, oh, what's his name? Um the guy who sang Southern Bell, Elliot Smith. So oh, oh, really? I recorded wow. on one of Elliot Smith's old hands, yeah. That's fun.
0: So who's recorded at Eagle Rock? That sounds like a famous studio.
1: Um, you know, I I wish I, I knew better. I know there's a bunch of artists there, but uh uh Elliot Smith was one of the big ones okay. and Kid Fidwater recorded their first record there, I ah, think. Ah right, okay. Two of them actually used to I think two of them used to work at that studio, if I heard that correctly.
3: Okay. Um,
1: but we, it was kind of cool. We got to use, like, all this old vintage gear that had been used on all these great records. And it was cool to kind of, I mean, I'm not the biggest Elliot Smith fan. I like some of their stuff. But yeah. uh, it's just always cool to, like, I don't know. My whole life has kind of wanted to just be a peer of a lot of these bands that I looked up to. So yeah. to be able to even use some of the same equipment as some of these artists is pretty fucking
0: cool. So what else was – what what was your mom listening to? Like, if, if dad was listening to ACDC, did your mom have a, a band that was kind of distinctively hers? Or a style of music that so was So my mom, hers?
1: Uh, yeah, so she – a lot of her stuff was more like – she liked, like, a, kind of a little more new wave stuff, but, like, the b 52s and, uh, like, uh, a lot of, like, Devo and Oingo Boingo and bands that were kind of, like – a little bit goofier and funkier, and my mom is just a lot more fun. But, but she she also listened to a lot of soul music. So my uh, my first show that I ever went to was when I was eight years old. Um, we were living in Virginia. We had moved there, like I said, we were in the military, so we moved around a lot. And um, we the first show I remember is at Bush Gardens in Williamsburg, Virginia. My mom took me to see the Temptations. Cool. And, uh, yeah, there were still, I think like three of them were still alive and it was, uh, it was incredible. I don't remember thinking like, that's the moment where I was going to be like, I'm going to play music for a living, but I do remember thinking that's their job. Like this is their job. That's yeah. pretty cool. We're all watching them do their job, you know? Um, <laughs> so I remember the temptations, like immediately I was like, I want a temptation CD. And so my mom bought me like a greatest hits and, uh, the song "Ain't Too Proud to Beg" by The Temptations is absolutely one of my favorite songs of all time. That's amazing. That one really hit me for the like early music era of my life.
2: <laughs> I know you wanna leave me, but I refuse to let you go. If I have to beg, plead for your sympathy.
0: Concept of like being an army, like being part of an army family, or even just moving around a lot, is so foreign to me. Like, how do you at a younger age? How do you process that? Or is it just one of those things where it's it's what you did? So, like, it's it's just what you knew. So, what you didn't find any different.
1: You know, it's it, in retrospect as an adult, it's kind of crazy to look back on. Um, like, I didn't really know much of my extended family outside of my immediate family, uh, until I was like a teenager because of how much we traveled. So there was a lot of distance between my family and everyone else, but in a way it made my family a really solid unit. And, um, we kind of just one, one beautiful thing that it did. And I think in a weird way, it prepared me for what I do for a living now as a musician, um, we moved basically every three years. So you figure when you get somewhere, you make a friend, right? I mean, I'm a kid. I'm a little kid. Yeah. I make a friend, but my friend has already been, you think he's going to be your friend for three years, and then you move. But that guy's already been there for two years. Oh, so you make right. friends, and he, he leaves in a year, and then you got to make friends somewhere else. So the first skill I remember really gaining is how to become friends with people. Like, it was a huge part of my childhood of like, figuring out how to just, like, make new friends and be open to meeting new people. And it almost became, like, this skill that I've carried into the rest of my life that I, I really feel fortunate to have. You're Obviously,
0: everyone's not going to this new place at the same time. Like, yeah, people are kind of coming and going at different paces. Why three years? What was the, what's the concept behind that?
1: I'm not sure. That's just how the military does it. It's okay. like every three years you, you get stationed at a new place.
0: Did, were there any were there any standout like are there any places that you thought like thank fuck we don't have to go back there like thanks fuck i'd you know i've experienced that place like alaska sounds like a wild place to kind of wild as in like completely not not commonplace to the rest of i guess north uh, mainland america like is it is it what you is it what people think it is or is it just like another small town that happens to be really cold
1: no, Alaska fucking rules, and it yeah. definitely is like, it's kind of like a, uh, I mean, it's got its upsides and downsides like anywhere else, but it is a lot of people who wanted to live on the fringe, a lot of people who wanted to get the fuck away from ev- literally everything else. Yeah. So that has its upsides and downsides, but you've got a bunch of people who wanted to escape normal life and went out there. We actually, my family still owns property out there. We love it. Like, it's a beautiful place to go visit, and It's gorgeous up there. It's like untouched America. Um, But I, I mean, I, I enjoyed it. I was, my, my mother is an incredibly sweet and open-minded person. And through my whole childhood, she was really big on me being accepting of everything. Like as far as us moving and people and like her whole thing was always just being like experience is what we are on this planet for. So, you know, be thankful for every experience you have. So, I actually loved Alaska, but I also loved, like, living in Virginia. It was uh, a little humid for me, but it was uh, – Virginia was cool, too. And then I actually lived in Germany. We moved to Germany when I was, like, 11 or 12 years old.
0: Again, for a three-year stint, or was that, like, your parents are still in the military? Uh, Yeah, for for three
1: years. Wow. Yeah, for three years.
0: That's a, like, that's a hell of a trait for your mom to instill in you, or like a – hell of a mentality for your mom to instill in you, especially at such a kind of young age of like, you know, get out there and do it, I guess.
1: Well, that's one of the beautiful things, like I was saying about being in an Army family, like, you know, it obviously has its downsides, but we, I I was, I, I don't know, I wasn't distracted by other things in life because I couldn't get too attached to something that wasn't my family because we'd be gone in a couple of years, you know? Yeah. So I was able to learn these incredible lessons through my mother because she was kind of my main teacher. I didn't have like teachers that I grew up with and I didn't have like, you know, babysitters that were with me my whole childhood to learn from or anything like that. It was like just me and my mom.
0: Being on the move all the time, um how hard is it to kind of gain some kind of identity as a as a young kid like was sports a big thing like I mean cuz you can't really you can't really get settled with a like I don't know how much ice hockey there is in Virginia, as a and I don't know how much you know American <laughs> football there is in Alaska. Like, how do you kind of find something that you can that that is a outside of your family? How do you find something that's a constant that you can kind of carry with you as some kind of an
1: identity as a young kid? It's tough. Uh, that's a really good question because it it is hard. Uh, I was never any good at sports, unfortunately. Okay. As much as I liked them at certain parts of my life um my dad was a soccer player so right soccer was a big part of my childhood um and uh then my dad also played broomball are you familiar with what broomball is ball. Have, have you heard of that before no not at all so broom ball is played on a on hockey ice but instead of skates you wear big rubber boots so you can run and slide around wow and you use a stick that's Half the size of a hockey stick that has a big paddle on the end. It looks like a broom, and you smack a big rubber ball. <laughs> that's fucking <laughs> like, awesome. <laughs> that's awesome. It, it's like it's it's like cutthroat crazy people hockey. It's pretty insane. Um, but I was never like a big sports guy. Like I, I would watch my dad play sports, and I played soccer a little bit. But record um, record for, for, record an, for my so, thing. So like, before you go
0: on, but for an American to play soccer, especially call it. Sometime in the 80s That's That's pretty rare yeah? yeah
1: Um I I wouldn't necessarily say It's rare But it, it wasn't as common As like football Or baseball Yeah okay And My family My family didn't give a fuck About either of those really Like It wasn't I don't remember ever being A huge Football Baseball Or basketball Fan Yeah At all In, in early life Um I remember Here's a really funny story So when we My dad played for the Army he would play on different teams everywhere we were, And he was a really good soccer player. Um he was like a, a great midfielder. And we get to Germany and my dad goes to play, but he's playing against a bunch of a bunch of German people. Yeah. And they kick the ever loving shit out of him. I can imagine. Yeah. And that was the end of my dad's <laughs> that oh. was the end of my dad's soccer career. Tragic. He just looked like I'm done. I'm good. Wow. <laughs> But he was a good player in the states, and he was fucking horrible by German standards.
0: Yeah, he was a very he was a very small fish in a big pond in Germany. <laughs> yeah, fuck. So music was the one thing that kind of, I guess, kept you kept a constant in your life as you were moving around.
1: Absolutely, I I was I mean, listening to records in my bedroom that was my thing, and like before I even thought about playing music, it was like. It was just, i that was my escape, you know, like I was always, my mom used to do this thing where if I didn't get in trouble at school, every Thursday she would take me out to buy a CD so I could pick a new album every Thursday as long as I didn't get like in trouble at
0: school. That's a good incentive. Were you a good um, kid at I, school?
1: Fuck no, not at all. <laughs> that was a, It was a really good incentive. Yeah, so that was, like, her trying to get me to, to be on the straight and narrow. Yeah. Um, but I got a lot of great records that way that I still remember, you know. When you are in school, kind of what was on your radar? Um, I mean, in my in my pre-teen years, I was listening to, uh, I was trying to listen to a lot of stuff, but I was really big into a lot of 90s hip-hop. And uh, living, living in Europe, we had, like, Euro MTV, so there was a lot of, like, dance pop, stuff that was on TV at the time yep. that wasn't necessarily my thing, but it was, it was around. Uh, but when I got, so we left Germany and we ended up heading back to where my parents were from, um, which is uh, uh, Washington, obviously, but my grandma lived in a small town called Enumclaw. This is like kind of at the base of Mount Rainier here in, uh, in Washington. Yep. And so when we moved back here, all my school so I moved back here in the eighth grade so from the eighth grade till when I graduated high school, I lived in this small town called Enumclaw. and um, I <laughs> I was listening to Metallica a little bit before that, and my dad hated Metallica. Really, so my dad actually took away. He hated them, yeah. So he took away my black album, and I got super pissed off and like yeah. super mad, and we weren't talking because of that. And then he came back with Green Day's Dookie, and this is when I was like probably. 12, 13 years old, he yeah. came back with Green Day Dookie and he was like, here, man, these guys are really, they're young and they're angry. You'll probably like this. And I love that album. But the one thing that album did was it introduced me to the Ramones and Screeching Weasel yeah. and The Clash. And that's what really opened the door to punk rock for me was my dad accidentally giving me a record to make me happy. That ended up changing my entire life. Wow.
0: So before we go into green day and, and punk rock, like what was it about Metallica? Was it, did he like, he, he seems kind of smart. Well, I shouldn't say smart enough, but like, he seems like mature enough to kind of not get caught up in a satanic panic kind of thing. But like, was it? What was it about Metallica that he just wasn't into? I think it was
1: just too much. It was too heavy for him. Okay. Um, you know, he, like his, his background was, like I said, very ACDC and a lot of classic rock. Yep. Um, like Billy Squire, he liked, like a lot of my guitar playing influence came from the music my father listened to. So it was, it was a lot of like clean bluesier tones. And I think Metallica was just too much. It was just too over the top. And yeah. Like too fast and too, and like distorted for my dad.
0: Yeah. And I guess like their fans probably wouldn't have helped the cause either. Like the, like when you see footage of, their live shows or their, you know, when they opened up record stores at midnight to sell the black album, the fans would have kind of, if you weren't, if you didn't know anybody, you'd be like, nah, fuck this. Like I'll steer clear of that kind of thing. and and you know, influ- like if my son's into it, then I'll probably point him in a different direction. So, so green day dookie. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And I mean, I, I love dookie, but that, that record didn't do as much for me as the records that it it introduced me to. Like, I got into a bunch of punk rock because of that album. Like, I remember um, seeing the Screeching Weasel tattoo on, I think, Mike Dernst, that's in the book of that record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the booklet, there's a picture of him, and I saw the Screeching Weasel tattoo. And then I saw the cover of Boogada, Boogada, Boogada in a record store. And that's like, I bought that album because I saw Mike Dernst's tattoo. Yeah, 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 absolutely.
0: That's fucking gold. So, uh, have you got a? So, are we going to go for a Green Day song, or do you want to go of something from Boogada, Boogada, Boogada?
1: So actually, so I, had, I you were on the right train there, go but on. I I derailed a little bit when I chose the song for this era. Um, so I had moved back, I had moved to to Enumclaw, to my to yep. Washington, and uh, I, I immediately. I've always been good at making friends, but then when I moved to this town, it's kind of like a redneck, like, farming town, and everybody there has lived there their whole lives. Right. And so when I showed up, I had green hair, and I had, like, Jenko jeans yep. and, like, a NASA patch on my coat, and I was, like, a total fucking weirdo. And it was really hard for me to make friends that time, but I found a couple people who were really into ska. Okay. And those folks ended up being good friends of mine uh, over the years. And I ended up starting a band with most of them. And then I played with uh, one of uh, two of those guys for 15 years. But um, there was a... The band that I started in high school, I, I played in a ska band. And the trombone player for that band, before we were in a band together, her name was Amy Hart. Uh, she gave me Operation Ivy's record. And that, that, like, blew my fucking mind.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It would have.
1: That, like you were talking you were asking about my rebellious years like that was it I was like yeah. that record fucking sold me yeah, totally. uh, so like all of a sudden I had. I felt like I had found my home with that album I was like oh shit these are my people you know yeah um, and I think my, my favorite song off that record probably frees up factory to the and all our ways the safe
4: So
0: you said you started your, fir- your There's a band was a Scar Band. I'm going to assume you play yeah. guitar. And what kind of what led you to what led you to picking up a guitar? So,
1: um, like I said, when I got to Enumclaw, I didn't really know anyone, and it was kind of hard. For the first time in my life, it was hard for me to make friends. And um, I was playing drums at that time. right! In, in band class. So my mom had had uh, told me I should try an instrument, and I had started playing drums in middle school. But, like, you know, classical shit, like snare drum and, like, you know, bass drum, not, like, drum set stuff. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, and this, there was a kid, when I was in the eighth grade, I was in middle school still, there was a kid who was way fucking better than me. Like, incredibly better at the drums. And he started giving me shit. Like, because I was a new kid, and I was a weirdo, you know, like. It started just being like, Hey hey man, like you're not very good at this. You should do something else. And it pissed me off. And I started to think like prison rules. like maybe I gotta beat the shit out yes! of this kid so that he'll leave me alone. Yes. You know, and like not to condone so violence, but I that's a powerful mentality. option. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I got this it was it was a few days in a row, like, you know, and I was brand new. I was like, damn it, I can't let everybody hear think that I'm going to live here for the rest of my school years. I can't let everybody think that I'm, you know, like, I I can get walked on. So I started saying, like, man, maybe i really got to teach this kid a lesson. And um, one day, he laid into me again. He was like, he's like, you're fucking this up, like, you're, you know, about how poorly I was playing. And I was like, what's your problem, man? And he was like, look, dude, take a breath. You and I are two of the only guys who like punk rock and ska learn a different instrument so we can play music together.
5: Wow. And so
1: that was David Casey who ended up being my longtime best friend and the drummer in my band success that I was in for 15 years. Um, I started playing guitar because Dave told me i sucked suck the drum. That's
0: so good. That's fucking
3: great. Did you ever, <laughs> did you ever like, I'm I, sure
0: post like well after the fact you talked to him and said like, does he know you thought he was an asshole?
1: Oh yeah, he knows. Yeah, yeah, he knows that I thought he was a fucking asshole. Yeah. yeah. And I've told this story, you know, before, like tons of times, and he always rolls his eyes, and he's like, oh, I wasn't that hard on you. But, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but he was, uh, It was it was in, indirectly, it was a defining moment in my life. You know, like, I wanted to play drums, but I, I wasn't sold on being a musician for a living yet. Yeah. And when I picked up a guitar, and I was able to jam with my buddy, that's the moment that I was like, holy shit, this is what I'm going to do. Yep. Like, all of a sudden, you know, I got tunnel vision and everything else in my life didn't fucking matter beyond
0: Just falls to the creating. Side.
1: I had been creating music for the first time, you know?
0: Yeah. Fuck, that's cool.
1: So what,
0: um, you you know, you said you kind of did a lot of years that, that you where you were. You've moved to a new town where you're an outsider, but you kind of spent the rest of your high, your schooling career there. Well, not career but, you know schooling years there mm-hmm. um what did your parents kind of like they did their time like is that how that works or like what what made you stop moving? yeah yeah my da- my dad
1: got out of the north my dad got out of the north sorry, he retired and um then he started working for boeing okay. uh, like the airplane manufacturer yep. and my mom worked at a, a grocery store in uh, in Enumclaw
0: so boeing's based out of seattle isn't it or am i imagining that
1: uh, yeah, no,
0: it's based out of Washington. Yeah, There's a bunch sorry, of different Washington. plants here. Yeah, yeah, right. There you go. So, early Scar Band, what was it called? Did it have a? <laughs> did it have it's the words? Rocket in my pocket. Rocket in my pocket. Well, look, if you're not gonna have a Scar Band with the word Scar in it, then the next best pick is a, uh, you know, sexual and. Ent- uh, Double entendre.
1: Yeah, a boner joke. Yeah, a boner joke. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's so good. <laughs> so was I an, mean, we were 15, you know? What are you <laughs> going to do?
0: Yeah. Well, uh, what are you going to do at 15? That's that's all you know. Um, Was it... W- were you kind of drawing from, like... W- were you drawing from, like, the current... Like, I'm assuming what would have been the current wave of Scar being, like, the Lesson jakes, the Real Big fishes, the Boss Tones, and that kind of thing? Or did you, like when you said you got Dookie and you can't, that opened the doors to everything else. Like when you're playing a scar band, were you like, well, no, like, yeah, there's these, this third wave of scar, but like, did you, were you prompted to go back to the first two waves and check that out or?
1: Not, not quite yet. I mean, I liked a little bit of the special at that time, yep, but I hadn't really go back that far. Um, At that time, I, especially what was influencing my band at that time was like, um, like you said, less than Jake, uh, uh, Suicide Machines. Like I, I love yep. the fucking Suicide Machines, especially that first record. Oh, the first record's uh, flawless. Absolutely flawless. It's so fucking good. It's yeah. still, uh, like if you re-listen to it, it's still just such a timeless record.
3: Yeah. And it has
1: such a great sound to it. all the songs have such good energy. Um, yeah. But yeah, it was, and I'm a huge Boston fan, so you nailed it when you were saying that. Like, I have, you know, naturally kind of like a raspy, Napoleon voice, yep. and uh, it sounds weird to say, but I remember the first time I heard Impression That I Get, and I went out and bought Let's Face It that record, yeah, it was because I was like, This guy has a voice kind of like mine, you know, it's like raspy, kind of shitty, yeah, but it sounds great,
0: <laughs> yeah, it's still really musical, like as raspy as it is, it's still yeah, got exactly. the musical element to it, yeah. So, how long did um, how long did the rocket in my pocket last?
1: Um, like all good ska bands, basically until everyone went to college. Right, <laughs> fair
0: enough.
1: <laughs> and you, you Yeah, also, we
0: uh, sorry, you go. Uh, <laughs> we
3: uh
1: we basically just did it through high school and then like maybe half a year after high school was done. Yeah. Were
0: you was there much of a like how far away from Seattle were you?
1: Uh about forty five minutes.
0: Okay. So like I mean 45 minutes when you're 15 years old, you're probably going to have to use public transport to get there. So it's not that convenient. Was there like, were there many all age shows around where you were or did you have to go to the city or what was the, what was the live music scene like there?
1: So as far as, as far as like kind of the local shows, the only ones that were happening that were punk rock and ska themed, I was putting on in my hometown. Well, wow, Okay. So I started booking shows at like 15 years old and, uh, so I would do that. You know, I'd rent out, like, a hall and convince some old farming men to let me use their moose lodge and convince them that I wasn't going to burn the place down. Yeah. Put on, like, a pumpkin scotch. Um, but we were still going to the city. You know, 45 minutes, But like you said, definitely sucked, but we made it work, you know? Well, like, We were that's... so inspired to get the
0: out of necessity, I guess you just do make it work, don't you? Especially when you're that young and bright-eyed, you just—it's what I got to do because the alternative is to sit here and do nothing.
1: Literally, nothing was going to keep me from going to see the bands I wanted to see. Like there yeah. were times where I got in tons of trouble with my parents, even like it was like a school night, and I was like, "Fuck it, I got to go," and yeah. I would just deal with repercussions of leaving the house,
0: you know? Yep, yep. <laughs> so what were you? What were you watching? Like. To me, in my mind, Seattle didn't, like, I can't think of ska bands that kind of came from Seattle. What was happening musically that you were kind of watching? Like, were there many local ska bands that just kind of didn't make it out?
1: Or? Yeah, there was a couple good ones. Um, I mean, at this time, though, I was still, I wasn't specifically ska. Okay. Like, I was listening to a lot of punk rock at the same time. I just happened to be playing in a ska band. Yep. But um, there, was, there was a band called Instant Winner from Tacoma. They're actually on Spotify and everything, and they're, they're pretty good. They were kind of like a ska core band. Yep. Um, and then uh, there was a band called the Diablo Tones from Seattle that were also a really good ska band. But I was listening to a lot of punk rock at that time, too. And there was a band called uh, Hollow Point
5: okay. that is
1: absolutely still one of my favorite bands, and they're from Seattle. Uh, they used to be on Dwayne Peters' record label back in the day. Okay. They were kind of like local legends for a long time. And um, if if you haven't heard the Hollow Points, you should go check them out. They're an incredible band and great guys.
0: Yeah, for sure. Are they still kind of kicking around, or it's fallen by the wayside? Uh,
1: they're still buddies of mine, but they don't they don't play together anymore. Yeah, I don't cool. think any of them really play that much anymore.
0: Yeah, right. So what, like, what else kind of music that was on your radar? Because like a lot of so like around, I guess, two thousands, yeah there was a lot of hardcore coming out of that, uh, out of Seattle. Was there, was hardcore ever kind of on your radar as well or
1: not as much? Uh, yeah, some, some of it, but a lot of the more positive stuff. Yeah. Um, I mean, like I like tons of hardcore and honestly, I'm, I, I love like, you know, I like the crow bags and I like a lot of old school stuff, but mm. I was always a, I was always a seven seconds H2O kind of kid. Yeah, absolutely. Like, the more poppy and positive kind of hardcore always resonated with me. And that's, probably had something to do with what we were talking about with my mother and like that positive influence she gave me is I've never been at the risk of sounding like a huge wood I've never really been like a super aggro angry dude who's into aggro music yeah it's just like never really did anything for me music was a message I mean the first time I heard the first Clash record I was like oh this is how you're supposed to do it like
0: yeah, they
1: just gave me the fucking textbook like here's how it goes you know
0: yeah here's the blueprint
1: um, for it. I was always inspired by more more positive hardcore and more positive punk rock was so always my thing
0: you you did a tour with seven seconds event like you know skipping over we'll go back to success but you did a tour with seven seconds that would have been a bit of a trip considering you know you've you've named you've mentioned as how much of an influence I had on you
1: uh you know my my life has been kind of a bunch of those like weird instances okay. where, like Something inspires me. I, it, I don't mean to sound egotistical. That's not how I mean it. But something that inspires me showing back up in my life again. Yeah. It's kind of incredible. Like um, I feel really fortunate for that. Uh, I actually went on success. My band uh, that I was with, with that same guy, David, who told me I sucked at drums. Um, he played drums in success. We went on two tours with uh, Seven Seconds. And it was cool. The, the, the thing that I took from that was, it was a great experience. We got to have play these incredible shows with a band that inspired us, but they also became our friends, like, yeah. and that's huge. Like that, these people who inspired me with their music ended up becoming my friends because they're also just really great people. So, did did um, you, uh,
0: did Rock in my pocket? How many members kind of jumped across, like, like to was success in the next band after Rocket in my pocket?
1: Um, I was in a band for a little while uh, called Crystal for a Paycheck, but we, it really wasn't the same vibe. I, I just joined that band because of the guys were friends of mine. Yeah. It was like kind of a weird rock and roll band. Um, but David, uh, he, from Rockin' in My Pocket, he and I, obviously, we remained friends, and uh, he played in that band with me, Crystal for a Paycheck with me for a little while. And then we always wanted to start a punk band. That was our thing. We were like, okay, well, this is fun, but we have to start something else. So we were working on all this music, and we tried out a bass player on Craigslist, who was this fucking insane kid from uh, Medford, Oregon, which, uh, if you've never been to Medford, Oregon, it's really sketchy and, like that kid was just kind of sketchy. Yeah, right. <laughs> so I have, I have it been there. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I've, I've driven through it. Yeah, <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> yeah, and
1: like, I got friends in Medford. I'm not trying to shit talk it, but it is sketchy. And, uh, so that kid didn't end up working out, but we knew a kid from high school uh, that we had, we had gone to school with named Austin, who was an incredible bass player and a really great guy. And so we ended up jamming with him, and that's how success was formed. It was originally just the three of us.
0: And what were, the, what were you kind of drawing from influence-wise with that? Like, was there, a, was there a, a blueprint of kind of what you wanted to do, or was it just like three, three people bringing three ideas in and kind of carving out something?
1: So right before that, I had gotten introduced to um, Billy Bragg. Right. And so Billy Bragg, it kind of changed my songwriting to where, like, I was inspired to write really great songs because his songs were so fucking good and so timeless, and they all had a message. And so uh, I was trying to write Billy Bragg songs, but then at the time, we were listening to, like, One Man Army and swinging and Utters.
3: Yep.
1: And uh, so the band was kind of drawing from, uh, like, that. Uh, One Man Army, swinging others Utters, uh, Dead to Me, None More Black, like... That kind of pop punk is why yep. it's really what we started to be influenced by at that time.
0: Yeah, that's <clears throat> sorry, part of the way. Um, cause I, like like I what was your what was the last album call that you guys did?
1: That's accepted? Yeah. Uh Radio Recovery.
0: That's the one. So like um whenever like I hear that and I hear like I can hear that numb. Oh, now that you mentioned, it, I can hear a lot of numb or black in it. But I hear a lot of that. Um, as odd as this might come across, I hear a lot of the non-scar bits of less than Jake, if that makes sense. Like so, when when less than Jake oh, do yeah, like a, sure. yeah, like a like, you know, a quote unquote a rockier kind of sound. Like I I totally hear that kind of screaming through as well.
1: Absolutely, um, David, that's his all-time favorite band, right? Um, like he he's that that was it for him. When he found Listen and Shake, that was he's still to this day as the biggest Lesson Shake fan I know. That's awesome. Um, so it definitely was coming through. And you know, their uh their anthems were real specifically great. Like they had a way of writing a song that made you have to sing along if you heard it,
0: you know Oh yeah. They did they what yeah. They they're one of those bands that they they I don't know how they pull it off. But they'll write a song with three <laughs> with three verses but the first verse and the last verse are the same <laughs> and it doesn't matter because it's so fucking good That's like yeah well let's just reuse it and put it at the end like and you yeah, yeah you just, it. it's good right yeah you just can't help but go i'm i'm in i'm all in with you guys like you know like and saying that i I've, I've kind of slipped off listening to them over the last 10 years or so 10 12 years but like you put on like i'll put on uh losing streak you know hello rock for the the two that came after whose names I can't think of but it's just like yeah you, you guys have got it you guys have got the the magical source that just make that just bring the hits every album
1: yep you know uh success we loved hello rock you because it came out in 1998 which is yep. when we started high school and it was kind of like perfect for us um but Anthem, which I think was the record after that was that the that yellow was the one? one that like really yeah exactly yep that was the one that really did it for us. Like, it was a lot more rock and roll. Yeah. And uh, Success was, that was a big one for us. Because we were like, oh, shit, we got to write a record like this. That's fantastic.
0: So that that band went for a fair while then, I take it? Uh, success went
1: for a fair while? Again? Yes, uh, Success. We played
0: together for uh, 15 years. Which is wild. Um, all, yeah, all the, all the yeah things it's pretty come, to think about. All good things have come to an end. Like, what kind of what what kind of heralded the end of
1: the band? So we we will probably still do something in the future at some point. Oh, we're cool. all still really good friends. And it hasn't fully, like, we didn't go, like, we're ending the band. We basically just, uh, two of the guys have, like, real careers, you know. Okay. They have families to support, and they own houses, and they have multiple kids now. And so it just kind of slowed everything down. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so so uh, me and uh, we had a guy playing keys in the band, playing organ named Andy. Me and Andy wanted to keep going with something. And so we expressed that to them and the, the other guys were success. And they were all just supportive of us continuing to do something else. And so Andy and I started to drown from there.
0: Like as a, was it like, uh, like a, a layover until the guys kind of were ready to just do something again? Or was it kind of unspoken that it's going to be a long hiatus.
1: Well, that was absolutely the first idea was that it was just going to be something to buy our time with. Yeah. Um, but then the the material really started to, to come to fruition. Like it really started to become these really incredible songs we were getting really proud of. And, um, you know, we were talking about being on tour with seven seconds. That first tour of success did with seven seconds was with the Briggs and the drummer, the Briggs is this guy named Jake Margolis, and when we went on tour together, Jake and I became immediately like became best friends. Um, he's one of my favorite people I've ever met in my life, and oh, wow. he's such a good dude, and he's such an incredible drummer. He used to play in Madcap, okay. To play in Time Again, Jake's a fucking legend and an incredible drummer. Um. But so I kept that in the back of my mind that I had to, I had to play music with Jake at some point. Like, I knew, I, we, me and him both, the day we met, we just knew we were going to play music together at some point. Um, so when me and Andy started working on the drowns, we called Jake and we were like, hey, man, like we got this material, we got to play. And he, his band, had been slowing down at the same time. So it all kind of worked out timing and time. Where was
0: he based at the time? Uh, he still lives in Los Angeles. Oh, okay so how do so how do you make that work then
1: He just has to fly up for everything wow and and the yeah, I mean it's not the not the most feasible way to do it but it's what we had to do yeah that makes sense so
0: like as a as an early band starting off how do you are you just recording demos in your room and kind of sending them down to him or like, is he coming up for, like, for, you know, a week-long practice? Or what's the logistically, like, when you're, when you're starting the band, how does it all kind of play out?
1: So, luckily, um, because of technology, Andy and I can write something and we can send it to Jake within yeah. minutes, you know? Yeah. So, as far as conversing about how a song should go, it's actually a lot easier than you'd assume, whereas me or Andy can write something on an acoustic guitar, send it to the two other guys, those guys can listen to it and send us notes, and we can build the song from there within a matter of a few hours if we wanted to, you know. Yeah. Um, so it's actually a lot easier than, than I think any you would assume it would be. Yeah. But then we we start we worked on this material. Uh, Jake flew up to work on it, and we actually went on we went on our, our first tour before recording. We just booked the tour literally on like our reputations alone we had nothing recorded we booked a tour to be able to stop in Sacramento and record the first record
0: oh wow that's a good idea
1: yeah so we we went on a tour and the tour was super fucking good too like just surprisingly we had no material on the internet but we still had a really great tour yeah and on that tour we played in Oakland we played a show to like no one and like this shitty like art in oakland and there was nobody there and the venue didn't even know there was a show going on that night
0: that's convenient
1: like we showed up and they were like oh really okay <laughs> so <laughs> they still let us play and we, we played to like 20 people um but one of those people happened to work for pirate press and so he immediately was like on our bandwagon and was like i got up we have to work together and so you know there was more steps in between here and there but Going on that tour and just getting out and going on the road is what ended up putting the drowns on the map. It was just that idea of being like, fuck it, even if we don't have music, let's go on tour. Let's make it happen. So your, was
0: your early stuff from the get-go on Pirates Press, or did you release it independently?
1: Uh, we released it independently with uh, two friends of ours. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, we basically we had to figure it out. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. we, no one was going to put money into something they didn't know anything about or they didn't know if it was going to work. So uh, Bipolar Records and Life from the Rock Room are both just friends of ours. Yep. And then a 1984 record is Jake and I started a tiny label just to put out our own material. Oh, cool. Um, yeah. So we split it three ways and put out that first record. So do you have something
0: that kind of, you know, sums up or kind of defines where you're at with, um you know, success kind of? Taking a a a kind of backseat and the drowns kind of picking up the picking up the slack of like your creative outlet like around that kind of time of your life.
1: Yeah, for sure. Uh, spitting punk by the swinging outers.
0: So the, I guess the last part of the podcast is the kind of interesting bit because for some people, the time span's huge. For some people, the time span is smaller. Like, tell us about, like, I guess where the Drowns are now and where you are now, like, musically and everything. Like, so actually, before we got – actually, before we said that part, so you came onto my radar. Um, I went to Punk Rock Bowling last year. I met up with a friend. Uh, some oh, friend, cool. friends and I went over. Met up with a friend who lives in Canada who I met in the late 90s and we've been really, really close ever since. So, like, we had this weird 20-year 20 re, 20 reunion slash catch-up. And I said to him, you know, what band do you want to see? Da, da 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 And he's like, we've got to go see The Drowns. And he the way he pitched them to me was completely weird and made, like, if I told you the references would make no sense at all. But I was so <laughs> fucking happy. He, he said that you kind of sound like against me, which in my opinion you don't and that's not a – positive or a negative i just think it's a weird reference but so as i'm watching all i could like i loved every second of it but part of what helped was it you genuinely seemed like over the moon to be there and that's not a diss on other bands who you know it, it's not a diss on it's not a diss on anyone else but you actually like you seem like you were living in that like you actually taking the time to appreciate you were playing at punk rock bowling, which is, you know, it's a pretty big thing for a punk rock band. Even if you're on the, the quote unquote side stage, you, all four of you seemed like you were just lapping up every second of it. And I was fucking so drawn to that. It was unbelievable. So that's kind of, that's where I kind of, that's where my path and the drowns path intersect. And I was so all about it. So yeah, let's talk about like, I guess the last few years of the drowns and kind of, how it's all
1: played out so i I really appreciate you saying that. Um, obviously it was a huge experience and um to add to add more that you may not have known to that uh, I had actually played the main stage of punk rock bowling before oh have you with success right okay so, yeah so when you so when you saw that when you saw me being in that moment and enjoying what I was doing and taking the time to be like, this is incredible That's my second time Like oh, yeah. Nothing is You know what I mean Like If We In the drowns We talk about this a lot It It uh It worked against us And for us that time But A lot of people Want that Rock star uh, Out of their band They want to see a band And have them be untouchable And no one Even in the punk rock world No one's gonna admit that No yeah. one's gonna admit that Humans crave this like Idea of that person up there is better than me, and that's why I'm here watching them. They don't think about it like that, but essentially, that's what it is. Like, you yeah. create that's why the fucking Kardashians got big. It's like, <laughs> you know, you see them and you, it feels untouchable, and that seems, uh, that's, that's all subconsciously
0: you trying to yearn for that. You yeah, know? you're striving, you're that's your kind of what you're striving for,
1: or what people are striving for. Yeah, and I fucking hate that with a passion. I can't. I hate that barrier. Like, we were talking about seven seconds and swinging others and getting to meet them and having them be great people. I'm very fortunate that I've been able to meet a lot of people like that. But with that said, I've probably met 75% more bands that the people in the bands are suckers and they think they're like God gets the music. Yeah. And I've never, I've never felt that way in my life. And I, I hate it. I really do hate it. And I think it. I want to feel a part of everyone in that audience. So when you were watching at Punk Rock Bowling, I, I feel like someone in the crowd, even though I'm on the stage. And I know that sounds so weird, but it's totally true. Like I, I, I'm glad to be a part of the experience and I'm a fan. Like my parents were still being a fan inside of me. Yeah. So if, if you're up on that stage and that's what you do for a living and there's, you know, five, 10, 20,000 people there to watch you. If you're not having a good time and you're not appreciating it, you're a fucking asshole. Yeah. That's pretty much what it comes down to. Yeah. (laughs) So I think when you get a band that's up there and they like, I I can't stand when a band has a like, you know, like I don't want to be here attitude on stage. I fucking hate that. I think it's fake. You know, it's like, it seems like it seems manufactured. It doesn't seem real. So, The fact that you just said that to me reaffirms how I feel about it, and I appreciate you saying that because that's exactly what we want to put across. If you walk up to someone in the drowns, they're gonna have a conversation with you. They're not gonna shun you. They're not gonna tell you to get the fuck away from them. You know, they're not gonna act like they don't have time for you because we're just fucking dudes. Yeah, we're all dudes. You know, like like that's the thing. As as Legend Jake said, we're we're all dudes.
0: Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah so second time playing there that's that's a really not many people get a second stab at that being from a different band like that's a real that w- would be a really really nice you know that's a really nice gesture from i guess it's the stern brothers booking it still like at that kind of level yeah, yeah.
1: the, 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 the stern brothers the stern brothers and the folks that have been really great and supportive of, of me over the years and i can't say enough good things about them.
0: so is it before we get you know before we wrap up like is there anything else you kind of The new album came out earlier this year on Pirates Press. What else is kind of, is there anything in the future? I mean, with what's going on at the world at the moment, without to touch on it too much, like it's kind of put your, well, put everybody's, you know, tour schedule kind of by the, like on hold. Are you you guys using that to write or to kind of take a break from the year that was 2019? Like what's the, what's happening now? Well, the downside is that,
1: we we have a fucking huge year planned in front of us, and you know, with a ton of festivals and a ton of touring, and we're just crossing our fingers right now, hoping that everything still you know, keeps moving forward. Um, we have a European tour in uh, in July and August, with a bunch of huge festivals, with like the Circle Jerk and uh, like Rebellion Festival in England, and uh, yeah. we're. As far as we know, all of that is still in place. We're supposed to go on tour with Booz and Glory in May, and I'm hoping all this passes by then. Yeah. But with Punk Rock Bowling getting, which, yeah, I was supposed to be around Punk Rock Bowling, but with that getting delayed, who knows at this point? So we're gonna try to just keep writing. I mean, luckily Andy and I both we love what we do, so yeah. we're writing constantly. So I was writing before you called today. I was like working on some material. Oh wow, that's
0: cool. Is there like is there a plant like is there a plant like is the new thing just a seven inch to kind of keep the music out there or are you going in with a uh like a full LP or what's the vibe?
1: Not sure, man. I'm just yeah. writing to write right now. Yeah, that so makes sense. We're uh we're probably gonna we're probably gonna try to go back in the studio with uh uh Ted Hutt in LA because we had a great time working with him on that last album under tension. So we'll probably go back to to uh, record with him again. He's a great guy and an incredible producer and really got the most out of out of our material. So we'll probably go back there and work with him. But right now, we're just writing because we're all fucking locked in our houses. Locked down, yeah. Hey,
0: before we pick a last song, thank you very much. I've been bugging you. I think I've been bugging you since like the second Orlando back in Australia after Punk Rock Island last year, which is nearly a year ago. So I really appreciate you kind of having a chat And because as I said, like I was fucking... I was so blown away with the stokedness that you guys showed when you were playing and the genuineness of it all. So, yeah, it fucking, it was fantastic.
1: Well, thank you. And I, I appreciate you, uh, like, keeping up. And, like, even though I'm, I'm fucking busy and a scatterbrain, you've been very adamant about getting me on the show. And that means a lot. To me, so and
0: I, I need to get you, I need to get, so Gringo Bendito sponsored this podcast and I need to get you some gringo oh, yeah. because I need you to understand <laughs> that it is the best hot sauce out there. I need you to understand this. So, I mean, I'm, I'm totally open to try it. <laughs> cool. Okay. We'll make it happen. <laughs> oh my God. So let's, let's close it off with a, with a final track. What are we going to go with that kind of sums up, sums up Rev Peters from the drowns in 2020.
1: So obviously we're in this podcast. We're jumping around a lot. There's yep. so much stuff that happened in between, but, um, I've always been a huge fan of, like, uh, British street punk and Oi and a lot of two-tone ska, but there's a lot of, like, you know, the skin rock and roll from over there that I really, really love. Um, so the last track I chose was My World by a band called The Crap. Okay. Which, If you haven't heard it, it's one of my favorite songs of all time.
0: Fuck yeah. Look, what is it about this song that kind of – what? yeah, what is it about um, that, that kind of draws you to it? Oh, Or like puts it in the the, one of your favorite songs of all time
1: category. It's tough, but it's also still it's clean, and the instrumentation is great. The guy's voice is incredible, and it's it's tough but clean, and that's kind of like what I what I shoot for when it comes to writing for the Drowns. I like want a tougher sound, but like you talked about earlier, but in you know clean
0: tones again i really really appreciate you spending the time mate i, I hope you had fun because i had a fucking great time
1: yeah joel it means the world to me man and thank you for doing what you do like people don't think about how important things like podcasts are in this day and age but it it really is to like kind of keep all the fandom and all the keep the the, the community going we need stuff like what you do and we, we need people to write record reviews and we need you know news about punk rock to keep coming up so thank you for for putting in the time and effort cuz i know it's not an easy thing to do so thank you for doing that
0: Alrighty, thank you very much for listening. Um, hope you enjoyed it um, as much as I did. Um, go listen to the Hard Targets. If you like what you heard, you know, paypal.me slash myagepodcast. Send me a dollar, you don't have to. It's never expected. It's always appreciated. Um, until until the next episode, end of the month, with, um, as I mentioned, one of my, my white whales, let's call it. Um, yeah, cool. Yeah,
6: bro. But there were so many people you just had to meet without your clothes Joe still picking cotton for your ribbons and bows, and everybody knows, and everybody knows that the plague is coming. Everybody knows The scene is dead But there's gonna be a meter On your bed That will disclose What everybody knows And everybody knows That you're in trouble Everybody knows What you've been through From the bloody cross on top of Calvary, uh, to the beach of Malibu, everybody knows it's coming upon, take one last look at this sacred heart before it blows, and everybody knows, everybody knows.